We got married in 2009, uh, and then we had our first daughter, Brooklyn, in 2011, and we've been blessed with two more girls. <laughs> so I've got my, my hands full, I'm the, the only guy in the house, but I love it, love our girls. Life would be very boring without them, so. So I grew up in a family where we went to church every Sunday. My grandpa was actually a Baptist preacher. I found Jesus when I was seven. I actually accepted him and baptized at 15 is when that happened. And church was always important to me. I grew up in a, a Christian household as well. Uh, church wasn't as regular for us uh, growing up. Kind of hit or miss, you know, here or there, you know, didn't, didn't go all the time, but my parents definitely, you know, taught us that, taught us to about Jesus and you know I accepted Jesus when I was 11 um, was baptized around then I don't remember the exact exact time frame there we kind of I guess started looking for a church uh, a church home in Rapid City one of Tessa's co-workers actually invited us to Fountain Springs and just kind of knew you know that it was a good place to be and a place that you get I mean just kind of everything hit home and you definitely felt like, felt like you were part of a community. So we started attending about 2010. We'd been married about a year before the big renovation happened the first time with the church. We had the, the sanctuary was just <laughs> small and cozy, we could call it, <laughs> cozy, <laughs> with, yes. all of the, with all of the fold-out chairs back into the lobby. I remember taking Brooklyn when she was born um, just little and walking, you know, and into everything back behind the auditorium where they had the kids' ministry back there to start with and checking it out. And then the big renovation happened and she got to experience the, the babies, the infants in the one-year-old room, one of the first kiddos for that area. And you could just tell it was going places and it was really neat to see where the church was headed with that. Yeah, just to see, I mean, the excitement of the kids from week to week to to want to go to the, the one-year-old room or the two-year-old room and, and to get to see what they, they got to do in there and, and that they're learning about Jesus. And it was a, a big point for us that, you know, that's what our child was going to be involved with, that they were going to get to be part of that and really just growing their faith from an early, early age. I've seen all three <clears throat> of our girls now come out of the one- and two-year-old room knowing who Jesus is and knowing what a Bible is and knowing the songs. And it's just cool to see little people like that just grasping it. It was really a confidence booster to know that with us and the church, the kids' ministry, that they're getting that, that good, solid foundation to have a good life with Christ. We know that the next generation, obviously that's a focus for our church. Um, the sooner you can reach kids and start ministering to them and getting them involved, the more likely they are to choose a life following Jesus and later on in life be able to have even more of an impact in serving in other areas in the community. You know, they might have started off in the kids' ministry and then they get older. I mean, we have so many kids that are teenagers that help out on a weekly basis in the kids' ministry and it's just cool to see that, that they're already starting to give back. Um, you're seeing kids get baptized that er, that early in life. They've already decided that they're going to follow Jesus. They're going to serve Him. So the more people we can get to help achieve that goal, the more kids we can reach on a weekly basis, um, 
The more people are willing to give, I guess, of their time and finances, the more we can, I guess, do as a church, as a, as a group. To have that, that good team effort of what the kids' yeah. ministry is doing and what we're doing, we can just back each other up on it. And hopefully, with that strong foundation so young, it'll help make those good life choices yeah. <laughs> down the road. I'm gonna I'm gonna preach, but before we get there, I want to talk about what what you and I just watched. Uh, hopefully, you've been preparing for Christmas in multiple ways, and many times there, there's enough new Fountain Springers, as we would call them, as we get to Christmas. Like, so what's my role as a part of Fountain Spring during Christmas? I mean, because for Christmas, typically you you were gonna buy somebody a present. Uh, some of you have yet to do that for someone significant in your life, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. And at the end, Walgreens is going to be the only place open, and uh, good luck on that. Uh, so usually for Christmas, usually, you and I give someone something special. And, it's, and, and I think we all would agree, it's not about how expensive it is. It's just that you and I give something to someone. Well, oftentimes, oddly enough, we forget to give God anything uh, on Christmas. So as a church, here's what we do is we intentionally focus on giving a financial gift at, at Christmas time every year. And so that's what we're doing, but, but, but there's a bit of a, of a flavor to it in the sense, a bit of a very specific subject. According to the Bible, not only do adults matter to God, kids do. And as a church, we've made sure that we do our very best to show kids who Jesus is. But there's a few problems that I want to put on the table in front of you that here's what we're doing. That for the next four weeks, you and I have the chance to give a special financial gift to help resolve and fix a few problems. And I think if in your list of Christmas presents that you're buying... Perhaps you can put God on the list. Here's the problems we're trying to address as a church. One is at the West location. Uh, there is some equipment and things that are on the verge of not working anymore. And as we try to communicate to the kids, that's not going to go well. Now, some of you are like, oh, it's not working. I know how to fix stuff. And let me just tell you, it's already duct taped enough. Uh, it's time. Some of us need to know that it's the, you get, sometimes the problem gets beyond the duct tape. And that's, that's, that's where we're at. I just want you to know that's where we're at. And it's time to replace some things because kids matter. And that's make sure they have the best in what works. At East, at the East location, there's a different problem. The equipment there is pretty good. It's pretty new. Uh, the problem is, is there's not enough space for the kids. East has a shocking amount of kids, which is an awesome problem, especially for a church to have. So what we've got to do is uh, actually make more space at East. We've got to... Uh, tear down some walls and put some walls up and reconfigure the square footage for the kids to have adequate space so we can show them who Jesus is. And that's what this gift can go to. But there's a third part that I want to draw your attention to. It's beyond the walls of our church buildings. In our area, there, is, there are some issues with foster care and adoption. And we need to be more than saying, hey, government, fix it, fix it, fix it. You and I need to help resource some of the incredible organizations that are already involved. And so this year's Christmas Kids Matter offering is going to go to all of that. To where I believe this, if you and I all sacrifice, we can make a huge difference. And it's going to be awesome when more kids get to know who Jesus is. 
So I wanted you to know with clarity the problems we're trying to resolve and who's involved. So that's all of us to get involved, by the way. I've even asked my kids, hey, what do you think about it? And they're like, we're going to give to it. And I was like, whoa. I mean, who, who taught you this generosity? I hope, <laughs> and they said, mom. It's like, hmm. Uh, so, so our kids are going to be involved. Titus, our five-year-old, Ellie and Hayden, they're, they're going to give this. Katie and I are going to give. And if you're like, well, how much should we all give? Here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's our philosophy as a family. We're going to give just across the line of it hurting. So we're adjusting the presence that we give each other and what we do, just so much so that we're like, man, that's not going to be initially fun, but it's going to do some things for God. So I think you and I ought to give to the point that we're like, ouch. That's what we're going to do. So again, it's not the amount, it's the sacrifice. You got me? Clear on that? So you can, we're like, when can I give to this? Well, you can give, literally, tune me out right now and do it. You can go online, just do it. Or you have a four-week window. It's got to happen before the end of the year. It just has to. So there's your window. I don't know if you write things down, but that's one of the things you should at least remember. But giving is not the only thing that you and I as a Fountain Springer should do over Christmas. We should invite. You should have one of these. It's a red card, and you're like, what in the world? What's this do? It gives you information. So here's what I'm going to ask. It comes with a statement. We're going to offer Christmas services, 13 Christmas services. We're going to start at the prison. And then we're going to offer multiple services at East and at West. And I think, I think you and I ought to get involved in this. Here's how you and I get involved. We as a church always talk about how anyone and everyone matters, right? I'm going to say this again. You and I as a church talk about how anyone and everyone matters, right? right? So, that, so let's focus on the one. Anyone and everyone. Let's take that word one. And here's my guess. You know one person that you could invite to one of the services for Christmas where we'll talk about who Jesus is, even give an opportunity for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. Uh, you need to get tickets, by the way. Now, I know something like tickets to a church. Come on. How much these tickets cost? They're, they're free. So here's what happened years ago. Uh, people came for Christmas services at Fountain Springs Church. They all looked good, too, by the way. They were, like, in their Christmas best and everything. And they showed up with their kids. And if you have kids, you know, you're wrangling them and making them look all put together, take some effort. They show up, and guess what? There weren't enough seats. Literally, there were folks who were pulling into the parking lot and pulling out because there were no more parking spots. So what we went to was a ticket system. So you and basically you can reserve your spot and your friend's spot and your, and your enemy's spot if you want to do that too. You can invite. And so I'm telling you, this is to remind yourself or maybe to give it to others, get your tickets. Because some folks will wait. They will wait. And we'll talk about regrets next weekend. But they'll talk about, they'll wait. And, and there will get services where there are no more seats. And we don't want you to come without a seat. I'd rather you come having a guarantee you have a seat. So that's what this is for, invite. Invite like you've never invited in all of your life. Invite, and it's going to be awesome together. But we're here together to talk about feelings. Huh? I know someone was like, feelings? I don't want to talk about my feelings. Don't worry, we'll have fun with this. As a, as a church, we're leaning into a reality about life that I want us to address. So you and I come into we come into this time, we're at Christmas. Christmas is awesome. But many of us come in with expectations that are not currently being met. My guess is some of you came into Christmas thinking how awesome it was going to be with you and your spouse or you and your kids, you and your family. Maybe, maybe, maybe work was going to be awesome. Maybe income was going to be good and you expected different things. Many of us thought the semester was going to go better. And now we're going into it going, ah, this Christmas is just not what I thought it was going to be. 
So you have choices. You could fake it. You can fake it, and I, I don't think that's the wise move. Or you and I could begin to look at what does the Christmas story teach us about real life? When I say real life, here's the question. What do we do when life doesn't go our way? Like, let's just pretend that you have had a time in your life where you're like, hey, that didn't play out how I wanted it to. Most of us would be like, how many do we get a list? Because I've got a lot. Almost all of us, I'd say all of us, have encountered life where it's like that didn't go the way I wanted it to. Maybe it's relationship, financial, whatever it be, but, but you've been there. I've been there. And you know what that does is it leaves you typically with a wounded heart when life doesn't go the way you wanted it to. That's why Christmas is so important. It's also why it's critical you and I don't fake it. Because do you know that the Christmas story has everything to do with your broken heart? I'll show it to you. Jesus was in church, reading the Bible, reading a scroll known as the book of Isaiah, and he, he read this part. He has sent me, I mean, Christmas is about Jesus being sent, right? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. But a lot of times in life we're thinking, no, 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 if I've got a broken heart, I'm just supposed to get better somehow or fake that I don't. And we go on with this broken heart and it doesn't get, doesn't get resolved at all. Meanwhile, Christmas is here saying, don't fake it, get healed from it. Let your broken heart actually get addressed by God. So this will seem depressing at first because we have to deal with the problem. The first week we talked about what do you do when you lose someone or something? That breaks your heart. This week I want to talk about something different. What do you do when someone hurts you? What do you do when you find yourself in this position where you have been hurt? What do you do with that? Many of us, it will, it'll make us cry or we'll grieve. We'll go listen to sappy music. We'll do whatever we do. Sometimes we'll yell at people. Sometimes we'll, we'll cut people off. But, but most of us, when someone hurts us, we feel it, we feel it, we feel it, and inevitably there's a certain feeling and a certain thing that is going to arrive, and here's what it is. It's called anger. Eventually, you're going to get to the place, the day, the season, of you're no longer like, oh, I'm so sad. You're like, I am very angry. One of the questions I get asked as a pastor is this. Is it a sin for me to be angry? I get asked, actually, a lot. And I'll tell you first off, no. We have evidence in the Bible of Jesus himself got angry. Ang anger by itself is not wrong. It's okay to be angry. In fact, I think there are things in life that you and I should start to be angry about. Here's the problem. We all get angry, but, uh, but many of us stay there. That's the problem. Many of us get angry about something, and if you're like, where did the anger come? Well, probably someone hurt you in some way. They did you wrong in some way, and you found yourself angry. And the problem is, is, is we just stay there. We think, well, I'm not flaring up about it anymore. We stay there. Do you know that the Christmas story has an example of someone getting angry and staying there? In fact, there's such a toxic person in the Christmas story, I'll just tell you, uh, he doesn't make it into your nativity scene. 
He doesn't make it into our celebrations. In fact, he, I don't think, rarely makes it into any kind of Christmas play. We don't talk about him. We don't like him. He's horrible. And I'm going to tell you why he's horrible, but we got to go into the story. Because I think some of us have been wounded. We found ourselves being hurt by someone, and we just stay there, and we live angry. And I want to show you what it looks like to live angry. What happened is the Magi, or maybe the, the kings, the three, we three kings of Orient, okay. those guys, they are in the nativity, in the nativity scene. Uh, they, they come to town because they're looking for what they would call as the king of the Jews. So to them, logic says, if we want to find this new king of the Jews, let's go ask a king where the new king is. It's logical, but they asked the person who you should not ask that question to. Here's the story in case you missed it. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, as in, there's a new king? What? And all Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So far, nothing wrong. That's a logical question. Oh, there's a savior, a Messiah, a new king of the Jews? Okay, where's he at? Well, he begins to strategize, create a plan. I'll, sh I'll show you his plan. It's, it's in the Bible. Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. It appears as he's strategizing. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, hey, hey, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find them, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So far, you're like, sounds like a pretty cool dude. It's a guy who he hears about the new king of the Jews, the Messiah, and his response to this point is, let me help you guys find this king so not only you find him, so that I can find him and I can worship him. Huh? That's not what he was thinking. I know it's what was written. Perhaps you don't know the history of King Herod. King Herod, uh, from the surface, uh, was known as a brilliant man. In fact, in Israel, if you go over to Israel, even right now, there are walls and buildings that he built, that he had built, that still stand. He was known as an incredible builder. There's even an era in our history that we document as the time that he was building. That's how good he was. In fact, he's even better than that. He could put a plan together, but not only put a plan together, he could implement it and succeed. I mean, many of us, we, you want to work with someone like that, right? Okay, here's the good plan. We're going to do this plan, follow this plan, and it works. And you're like, this is great. I like this life. King Herod was amazing at drafting plans and making the plan work. But he had a dark side. A very dark side. He was an incredibly angry angry human being and in fact the emperor at that time made jokes about him would actually describe him as it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than it was to be one of his own sons that just gives you a little bit you're like whoa and I can tell you more at one moment King Herod was so jealous he had the entire supreme court murdered he just was skeptical about their loyalty. It even went into his family where he had family members, sons, his wife, his mom, all murdered. He, he was horrible. Now you know why we don't ever 
include him in the Christmas story. Because what he did with his anger, so toxic. Let me show you. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, the Magi, by the way, they don't go back. They had a dream from God, but I think part of them were like, we don't feel good about him. He was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. I just, let's just stay here for a moment. That's horrible. You can't rationally find any good reason for what he just did. Do you see how threatened he was by a baby? And at first we're like, I don't even understand it because I think he had so many other anger problems, so many other things in his life that he had never resolved and it broke down. In fact, historians tell us he got so angry it led to paranoia to the end of his life where he literally went crazy at the end of his life. He didn't know what to do with his anger. And I know most of us are like, okay, so you've described one of the worst people I've ever heard of, right? And so most of us don't, don't connect to this worst guy ever. We don't connect to a guy who would kill babies like that. Why don't, and I know you and I don't connect to him, but I think we can find a thread there. The thread is, is we don't know what to do with our anger. The thread is that many of us are angry and we're just leaving it there. And sometimes we're, we're giving people the silent treatment or the opposite of the silent treatment. And this anger is unresolved in us and it's robbing us. It's making us explode. Okay, let, let me help you. Uh, some of you, you might be offended by this, but that's fine. That's normal. Uh, what does it look like to be Someone who's got this unresolved anger. What was it look like? Well, I thought I'd... If you've been shopping, perhaps you've been... You've, you've seen some people get angry. I was in a store not too long ago. I'm not going to tell you what it is. We live in too small of a town. Uh, but as soon as Katie and I walked in the store, it appeared as though we walked into an argument. It's one of those awkward moments. You're like, just back out. Just... It was weird. You probably have been there. Where there's a customer and, I, and the manager saying things that shouldn't be said anywhere. Well, I wonder if that's normal. Perhaps you've experienced this. I found one. I've well, actually found multiple ones. This is just for our enjoyment here. Uh, what does it look like? I'm going to tell you what it looks like. So there's a, there's a kid working a roller coaster. If you've ever gone on a roller coaster, you know there's, there's multiple workers there. And one of their jobs is to see, are you carrying things with you that you're going to take onto the roller coaster that you should not take on the roller coaster because it's dangerous for you and other people? Well, this lady had this purse with her. And it was a big purse. And the guy's like, hey, ma'am. And I, ma'am, uh, can I take your purse and put it? See those cubbies right over there? It'll be safe. Can, can I put your purse in those cubbies so that when you get back, you can have your purse back and, and everything's good? I bleeped out uh, most of this, but just I thought, here's her response to that. My bleep purse better be here when I get back or I'm going to get my man up here and shoot your mother bleep bleep dead. Some of you are like, What? One, you're worried that I, what I just said. Two, you're like, but you've seen this. That's explosive, right? Some of you who work retail especially, you're like, that's every day. <laughs> Another one, a, a, an employee first 
First day on the job. Not supposed to work the cash register, but they have to all of a sudden put him on the cash register. It's funny. Sorry, I know what happens. So he's on the cash register, and a customer comes up and puts two items on the counter. The kid rings him up. 60 cents per item. 60 cents per item, two items. He rings it up. 60 cents. The customer's like, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, those are 50 cents each item, 50 cents. The guy, first day, he's like, I mean, how do you, I know some of you are like, how do you handle a customer? Customer's always right. You're like, what do I do? What do I do here? Well, the first day, he's like, actually, sir, no, I know that's, that may have been how they were marked um, at 50 cents, but they're really 60 cents, um, so I have to charge you 60 cents per item. You don't care. You think you're big and tall standing over there. <laughs> well, I'll hop over there and beat your bleep. I'm a world karate champion. I'd kick your bleep in a second. I bet that kid quit that day. <laughs> Read another one where... Uh, a person came into a grocery store and they had bought a pie that was supposed to be cooked, but it ended up not being fully cooked. Walked in straight to the manager, found the manager, and said that this pie was, was raw uh, and there's a problem. The manager had a policy in which all they would simply do is find out which pie, go get an employee, and replace the pie right there. Before he could get the words out, the pie was in his face. Those are examples <laughs> of unresolved anger. Where they got angry about something else and they stayed angry and it built and it built and it built and it built and it built. Do you know that we don't know what to do with our anger? I can show you. I can show you one way to deal with it. I found it in Canada. They must be angry in Canada. Uh, it's called a rage room. And if you don't know what a rage room is, I, we, just, we just took their advertisement for what a rage room, what you do at a rage room. And I just thought I'd show it to you. It's just about 60 seconds. Uh, take a look. Some of you are business people and you're like, I'm starting one of those. Some of you are just going to put one in your basement. Uh, it's actually a very smart business model. I'll tell you why. Because you will get repeat customers. Because although you have the adrenaline and the emotions of destroying something, you've only managed your anger for a moment. You've not resolved it. 
you've not gone after the hurt that led to it. And so if you want to make money, it's a great way to make money because whoever comes is going to have to come back because that's, that becomes an outlet. I wonder if you've been hurt by somebody and not resolved it. If you have, if that's been you, you're normal. But you and I need to do something. In fact, there's a danger. Let me show you the danger. If left unresolved, our anger can turn into cruelty. And many of us are destroying our relationships, losing our jobs, getting kicked out of school, struggling with anything in life because our, our hurt led to anger. And the anger just sat there and sat there and we sat with it and then we eventually became cruel people. Most of us would never identify as a cruel person, but there are people in our lives who might say, yeah, you are. With your words, they hurt. Marriages typically do not end because someone got angry. It's because someone got cruel. Friendships don't typically end when all of a sudden there's this one angry moment. It's when someone let it build and build and even didn't say anything about it. And then it led to another moment and all of a sudden words are exchanged that you would never say to another human being, but they're said. And now on the internet, people just bypass saying it and they type it. I don't want you going into Christmas faking peace and joy. In order to get there, you and I need to do something with the moment when someone hurt us. What do we do? Well, Jesus taught us a couple things that I want to share with you. He taught us two things, and you got to know this is, I find it very profound what Jesus said. Let me show you the first one. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, let me help you. If you're unfamiliar with the word disciple, you're like, what's that mean? Well, we now use the word Christian. They didn't use it then. But it's, it's someone devoted to Jesus who follows Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, deny themselves, and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. But watch this. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? I want to put a spin on this. Something I think he intended. Typically, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world? We think of gain like, oh, notoriety or money or privilege or opportunity. Or we gain, we gain, we gain at any cost. Can I just add to this that I think many of us think that one of the gains in this is to get back at someone? What good is it to get back at someone if you're going to lose your soul doing so? I think that should be included in this. I think it is included in this. And many of us, out of our anger, we let that anger just become so toxic. And Jesus said here, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. It seems different than revenge. Deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Now, now when, when he says take up the cross, you, you, most of our minds goes immediately to Jesus on the cross. And we're like, wow, that's extreme. But I think a lot of us don't know what it means. So when Jesus said this to a group of people, hey, you want to follow me? You, you, you want to be a, a Christian? Okay, okay. You need to, every day, pick up your cross. See, as soon as he said cross to them, they would have been like, what? To them, the cross represented 
a one-way trip. No one picked up a cross just to move it. It was to their death. When you picked up the cross, it was, it was a humiliation tactic. That's what the Romans did. It was built to not only kill a person, but to humiliate them. And no one picked up a cross more than once. And Jesus says, you, you want to follow me? Then every single day you need to pick up your cross. However, many of us right now, all we do every single day is dwell on who hurt us. How we were done wrong, how life is unfair, and it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, and you're right, it hurts, and it was unfair, and not right. But do you know that if you spend your life, the rest of your life, saying, but this happened to me, this hurt, they shouldn't have, this isn't fair, do you know if you spend the rest of your life saying that, dwelling on that, you are correct, but you also are focused on yourself. For the rest of your life, you, you find yourself not saying I'm better than everybody. You're saying I deserve more than what I've received. It's, it's still self-centered. It's still like this happened. They shouldn't have done it. I can't believe this. I never get what others get. This isn't fair. This is a problem. Why, why, why? And it's always dwelling on self. And Jesus says, you want to follow me? Deny yourself. Here's the observation I think he's making of many. You can't be self-centered and Jesus-centered at the same time. And that not only includes arrogance, it also includes woundings. And I'm not saying to disregard your wounding or to pretend like it never happened. But many of us are dwelling on it every day. Who they are, what they did, how unfair it was. And you're right and right and right and right, but you're still focused on yourself. And Jesus says, you know, you, you want healed? Every day, pick up your cross. But many of us have let the anger, that anger, the hurt and the anger, has turned into hate. In fact, let me ask you to do something. Don't say it out loud. Please don't say this out loud. I wonder if you could make a list of the people that you currently hate. Many of us are like, well, David, I, I mean, I don't, I don't hate anyone. I just strongly think they should not exist. <laughs> Others of us need me to stop preaching so you can continue to make your list. teach you something I've had to learn. We can't hate the hurt away. I've tried. I bet you've tried to at least at some moment. Maybe it was in middle school, but someone hurt you. And I think it's human nature to say, then, then I'm just going to hate you back. If you want to be healed from this, you've got to, you've got to take Jesus' words as though they have weight. And he said, you want to follow me? You want to have peace? You want to have joy? Then you're going to have to deny yourself. 
But that's not the only thing that he taught that I think is helpful because many of us are like, okay, pastor said, if I want healing, I've got to pick up my cross. So when I leave, I'm going to, I don't know what that means. A lot of times the sermon does end here and we're like, we're supposed to pick up our cross. Okay, and we go guessing what's our cross. I don't understand it. Well, I think the cross can mean multiple things based on what's in your life. Last week, I brought something up very specific that Jesus taught. It's this. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If you've experienced a loss in your life, and you feel like, I just can't seem to move beyond the loss, then you need to go watch last weekend's sermon and begin to get some healing. Jesus taught this. It's brilliant. If you want comfort, you need to learn to mourn. Well, he kept teaching. I want to show you something else he taught. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If you'd like to know what your cross is that you're supposed to pick up every day, if you're dealing with anger, I would call that cross mercy. And that is the problem we have. Because I just brought up the fact that you and I have to at least in our minds address the person who hurt us and give them mercy. And that's where we're like, no way. If you say no way, be careful where your anger turns into. I'm not sure we know what mercy means. If you're like me, oftentimes when we say mercy, don't we say mercy and grace? Mercy and grace, mercy and grace, mercy and grace and forgiveness. And I think well-intentioned, we're like, mercy and grace and forgiveness, that's, it's, it's like all in this bowl of like, hey, let's deal with what hurt us, right? right? That's fair. I think we need a moment to understand if mercy is the cross that we're supposed to pick up, what in the world is mercy really? I'll show you. Refusing to punish when you have the right to punish. See, many times when a pastor or someone talks about, hey, if you want peace, you need to forgive, we're like, but you don't know what they did. And we're thinking we interpret forgiveness as, I got to forget this, I got to move on, hey, it's no big deal anymore, whatever. No. Do you know the first step to forgiveness is mercy? And it's simply when you're saying, I'm not going to punish you back. The old school way is it means you put your sword down. You're still upset with them. You got me? You're still like, I don't like what you did. But you put your sword down. You put your words down. You put your phone down. You turn the computer off. You say, you know what? You deserve to be punished, but I'm not going to punish you because according to God, vengeance is his. That's mercy. And I know many of us right now, but David, don't feel like it I don't feel this forgiveness grace or mercy that you're talking about and many of us are going okay when I feel it I'm going to offer it when the time is right I'm going to give it when I'm good when I'm healthy when I'm back in place then I'm going to then I'm going to give mercy no 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 mercy is not an emotion it's a sacrifice and many of us are trying to feel Feel the forgiveness before we're offering it, and we, so we don't offer it. 
Jesus was on the cross at one point, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I don't think it's because he's like, I don't feel what they're doing. He was making a sacrifice. Mercy is a lot like giving, if you didn't know that. A lot of times we don't give to God because we're like, I can't afford it. Now's not the right time. Eventually I'm going to make enough money, save enough money, and have my finances right to where I'm going to give. No, you won't. You give when you can. And mercy is the same way. You don't feel it. You're like, I don't have it in me, David. I understand. So you sacrifice. Mercy is not an emotion. Let me give you some facts. Let me walk you through this. You can't have peace and hold on a grudge. You can't. If you want peace at Christmas, if you want to wake up and be like, you know what? This is, in a legit way, an awesome day. Where you wake up and you, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, if they're going great, if they're going bad. If you want to wake up and like, I have peace. I love God and I know he loves me. And you're actually authentically living a life, even though you've got a storm around you. You need to know that you can't have peace and hold a grudge. What do we do? We heal our broken hearts by giving mercy. Do you see why everyone doesn't have a healed heart? Do you see why you and I encounter angry people all the time? Because many people say, no. I'm not asking you to say that you don't feel that pain anymore. I'm saying to put the sword down. It down and let Jesus do what he said he was going to do and why he came and why Christmas Eve was launched. Remember what he said? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. If you want your broken heart healed, you're going to have to put down your sword. So we're going to do this. Here in a minute, I'm going to pray for you. I believe that you and I can't actually give mercy like we should give mercy without the help of God. I think you need God. I need God. That's my experience. So here in a moment, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God would heal your broken heart, that, that if you have anger in your heart, if you have hatred, if someone has hurt you, be willing to let God heal you. I want to pray that. But here's what we're going to do. I explained this the first week of the series. I think it needs another explanation. Here in a moment, while I pray, you are welcome to come to come up here to what has been called the altar. If that's unfamiliar to you, let me explain something to you. For a long time. Let's just use a long time. In churches, people would gather up in front and they would kneel down at what was called the altar, the front of the stage. It's not that you can't meet God in your seat or in your car. No, you can meet him there too. But there's something different about coming to the altar and kneeling down and having a conversation with God. In fact, I would even tell you, when I say conversation with God, sometimes it's you don't talk, he talks. So I'm gonna pray But while I pray, or during the song that we will sing after prayer, you are welcome to come and kneel at the altar in front of the stage and have a conversation with God. And I suggest you start it with, God, will you heal my broken heart? 
We need this. It's time that we begin to heal from whoever hurt us. So when I begin praying, you are invited to come and come to the front, stand where you're at, sit where you're at, take whatever posture you want. If someone has ever hurt you, it's time you get healed from them. So let me pray for you. God, God, I believe there are many of us who have been hurt by someone and, and not moved beyond that hurt. In the name of Jesus, God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for anyone who has a heart that is so broken that it's become angry and hateful. But for those who have even been cruel to others, God, would you begin now in this moment, in the name of Jesus, begin to heal our hearts, begin to do something in our hearts that only you can do. God, I pray for those who are willing to open up to you, to trust you, to put their swords down and to actually encounter you. God, would you do something very special, very supernatural in our actual souls? God, forgive us of the moments that we have mistreated people where we have spoken things and done things that we never should have done. And God, for those who hurt us, God, help us. Help us to not punish them. Help us to get there really. Lord, we hand this moment over to you and we surrender it and ask that you just do what needs to be done in our hearts. God, we love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, we would love to walk through that decision with you of what that next step looks like. And we, we actually have people out in our lobby at our Next Steps area that are waiting to have that conversation with you. Well, hey, we love you guys. We hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time.